We're working our way through the book of Revelation. Uh, this is part five, starting on chapter six. And I, I, I said this morning, I view, I view chapter six as being uh, a key chapter in terms of understanding the rest of the book. If you don't get six right, you can't get seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, right through to about 16, 17 right either. That's how important chapter 6 is. And I think it's very commonly misinterpreted, and that's what I want to spend a little bit of time looking at tonight. So this is part 5. I had, I had people ask, um, and I'm only mentioning it because people have asked me. So the study notes for this and for Wednesday night, the series I'm doing Wednesday night, uh, you can get them in the resource room. The resource room, I don't know if it's open every Wednesday night. It, I, I, I don't, I'm not saying it isn't. I'm just saying I don't know. But I, Sunday, usually it is. And I had heard that except for the first week in that Wednesday series, you can get study notes in the resource room, but that they're out of the first week. So maybe you can get those online as well, by the way, the notes and everything else. The unsealing of this world's future. And because it's so important, I don't normally read a text quite this long. I'm going to read 17 verses, starting at verse 1 of Revelation chapter 6. So get comfortable, but stay awake. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals... Remember last week, we looked at four and five, and I talked about the book, the scroll, seven seals. And there's weeping because no one can open the book. And then the lamb steps forward. A lamb, as though it had been slain, opens up the book. And I said, Revelation is a book about a book. Because when you get into the book of Revelation, it's all about this sealed book and the unsealing of the book. All right. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come. You're going to hear that at the beginning of every opened seal. Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse... And its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him. And he came out conquering and to conquer. And when he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth, so that men should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. Five. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a black horse. And its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, Quart of wheat for a denarius. Three quarts of barley for a denarius. Do not harm the oil and wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. 
And its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. Nine. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. And they cried out, that's these souls under, it's a vision, remember, it's a vision. And they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? So these are, these are people who were martyred for the profession of faith in Christ. Hundreds of thousands this year killed for their faith in Christ. We don't focus on it. We don't hear a lot about it. Eleven. Then they were each given a white robe, told to rest a little longer, while the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. So, the work of God will get to a place where the only people yet to be reached with the gospel are going to be people who hate the gospel. And so the price of missions is going to escalate. 12. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake. Now pay attention to this. He opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood and the stars of the sky fell to earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. 14, the sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up. Every mountain and island was removed from its place. This is his vision. This is what he sees. And then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains calling on the mountains and rocks, fall on us, hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. That's Jesus that's being talked about. The wrath of the Lamb. You don't hear much about it in any church in the country. The wrath of the Lamb and people screaming out to mountain. Please, just, just bury us alive. But not, not that. Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. 17, for the great day of their wrath has come. There's the end, see? Who can stand? The theme of the fifth chapter, we looked at it last Sunday night, was this worthiness of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, exalted, to open the seals of this book of the will of God for this world. The sequence of history for this world. That was in Revelation 5, 7 to 9. And he went and took a scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders, we'll talk about them, fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, 
Worthy are you to take the scroll. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe, language, people, and nation. So remember, when you study the book of Revelation, you're studying a book about another book, this sealed book. The one the Lamb is worthy to open. That book is what the rest of the book of Revelation is about. John is going to talk about, I'm going to introduce it tonight, the most important thing you can know about the book of Revelation in terms of interpreting it properly John is going to see a vision about three sevens, three very important sevens in the rest of the book. The first group of seven is the seven seals. These are dealt with in chapters six, seven, and eight, seals. It's what's holding this book, this scroll shut so nobody... Nobody can open it. Seven seals. The second group of seven is seven trumpets. And those are described in chapters 8 through 12. Seals, trumpets. The third group of sevens is seven bulls. And they're described quickly in chapter 16. And there's a reason for that. The seven bulls are the sudden cataclysmic wrath of God poured out at the very end of the age. And they're not over a long stretch of time. It's immediate. Sudden. There's one point I want to underscore today. If there's there's one interpretive key to understanding the whole book of Revelation, I think it's it's this one. And and if if you don't get this point right and you just read the book of Revelation without remembering this point, you're going to have a very hard time making sense of it. Seeing how the rest of the book ties together, what it's portraying. So so here's the key point. These three sevens. Seals. What's the next one? Trumpets. Bulls. These three sevens do not follow each other in sequence. Seven seals, followed by seven trumpets, followed by seven bowls. That's not what happens. They overlap each other, and they build in intensity so that that the seventh seal, the seventh trumpet, and the seventh bowl come to an end at exactly the same time. Many people have typically interpreted these three sevens as following on the heels of each other simply because they're they're three visions, and John can't have three visions at once. He sees the visions in this order, and so the assumption is the events must happen in that order. In other words, first John saw the seven seals, and he described them. Then he had another vision, and he saw seven trumpets, and he described them. Then he saw a vision of seven bulls, and he described them. So because John's visions came in this sequence, it seems easy to assume that that's exactly how the events themselves unfold. But I think you'll see 
John only saw these revelations in this way because you can only see one vision at a time. That's why I said at the very beginning of this study that it's important to remember what we're studying in, in this book of Revelation. We're studying a series of visions. Not a vision. A series of visions. But, but the, order of the, the order of the visions isn't always intended to portray the order of the events. Did I make that sentence clear? The order of the visions isn't always meant to portray the order of the events that they picture. And I think you'll clearly see this. You'll see this as we work our way through these fascinating chapters. There are some visions that look ahead to the future. And immediately after a a futuristic vision, there'll come a vision that actually looks into the distant past. And they sang the song of Moses. There are also some visions that are pictured three or four times. In other words, different visions of the very same event. The event doesn't happen four times. You're getting four different angles, four different perspectives on one event. If this isn't understood properly, the the whole book will be shrouded in mystery, or worse, people will force an interpretation on the book that isn't actually there, but fits with some prophetic scheme. People make big money on that in the body of Christ. For the last 40 years or so, do you have in your notes that kind of picture of the three sevens? Okay. So in the last 40 years or so, this is how typically um, many, not all, have looked at these three sevens. This is, this is the theology behind, and I'm not picking on anybody, I just want you to realize how prominent this is. This is the theology behind uh, the whole Left Behind series. Tim LaHaye, Hal Lindsey, John Hagee, and a host of others. So you have seven seals, you see the picture, and after the seven seals, you have the seven trumpets, and after the seven trumpets, you have the seven bowls. And I'm simply saying that as popular as that is, I don't believe it will stand up to an honest examination of the text. I think there's a much better way to explain the meaning of John's vision in the context of other prophetic scriptures in the New Testament, including Jesus himself in the Gospels. So a better picture would look like, now you see the other one. Now, the paper isn't wide enough for me to do what I wanted to do. So you see how uh, the seals, right, go right across the page like that. And then the trumpets and bowls. You have something like that, right, on your sheet as well? Ideally, I just couldn't draw it. But ideally, I would like to have had the seven seals. And then you see underneath where I have trumpets, I would have had the seven trumpets contained in the seventh seal. In other words, I would have made the seventh seal this wide and in it I would have had the seven trumpets and then when you came to the end of the seven trumpets I would have made the seven trumpet this wide and I would have had the seven bowls in there so that so that the end of one actually contains all of the next one did I make that clear so the point here is And you you just have to interpret it this way. And I'll I'll show you why. 
the point here is that each of these three sevens, the seals, the trumpets, the bulls, each one brings us right up to the end, the second coming of Jesus and the end of the age. And that's why, if you take the time to look at it, and we will, we'll get there, you will find that in the seventh seal, the seventh trumpet, and the seventh bowl, they each contain basically the very same events. They are all describing the second coming. The events 8-5, 11-19, 16-17, and 18. They all contain thunder, I'm just looking at the factors, thunder, voices, lightning, earthquakes, and the outpouring of divine wrath. Each of the end seventh contains the very same thing. In other words, you have the second coming pictured at least three times. So what you get is an intensifying of activity as this age winds down. Most of the seven trumpets aren't the wrath of God. They're they're the wrath of man. They're the wrath of Satan. You have Antichrist, all sorts of factors. Most of the seven trumpets aren't God's wrath. The seven bowls deal specifically with God's wrath. So what, what, what theologians call, I don't care what your eschatology is right now, we'll get to it, the tribulation, a lot of people have it in their heads that the whole seven years, they get that from Daniel's 70 weeks, the whole seven years is the wrath of God. And the book of Revelation will not bear that out. It just won't. There's all sorts of factors going on in that, we'll call it that tribulation stretch. But the wrath of God isn't poured out to the very, very, very end. So you have, what you have is um, an intensifying. That's the best word I can, the best word I can use. The course of this age, things build up to a a faster climax as the very end approaches. Both the the persecution from the enemy, the judgment of God, they all intensify on this earth. Jesus says those days will be shortened for the sake of the elect. Matthew 24, 22. If those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Here's why this matters. All Christians believe the church will be protected from the outpouring of God's wrath at the end of the age. Whether you're pre-trib, mid-trib, end-trib, no-trib. All Christians, virtually all Christians believe that we will be protected from God's wrath at the end of this age. And we didn't just cook that up. The Bible promises that quite clearly. Um... Luke 21. Luke 21, 25 to 36 says, this is the Olivet Discourse, the discourse Jesus gave on Mount Olivet of the end times. Um, uh, Mark 13, Luke 21, Matthew 24. um, Basically, those, those three prominent eschatological prophecy chapters. So here's what Jesus says in Luke 21. There'll be signs in the sun, moon, stars, and on the earth. Distress of nations, in perplexity, because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. I just... 
hesitate, except I know there are some students in seminary, this won't relate to most of you, don't worry about it. But I know there are some students studying this. The problem I have with N.T. Wright and, and his, uh, the way he interprets the Olivet Discourse, and if you don't know about this, you don't need to know about it, it's not crucial. N.T. Wright is a scholar who believes that basically all these passages deal with not the second coming of Jesus, but with the coming of the Romans in 70 AD and the destruction of the temple. And much of it is. But it's very hard to make some of these verses fit. They will see the Son of Man coming in cloud with power and great glory. I'm sorry, I can't make that work in 70 AD. Now, when these things begin to take place, 28, straighten up. Raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. And he told them a parable. Now Jesus is telling a story. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves, you know that summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. 34. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness. It is always drunkenness that Jesus lists. Christians need to think about that. Watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and stand before the Son of Man. So there's escape promised to believers. Before God's wrath is poured out, we won't experience the wrath of God as it is poured out. Many people interpret that verse to mean that the church will be raptured at the beginning of the tribulation. But they interpret it this way because they've all decided that all of the seven seals and the seven trumpets and the bulls in the book of Revelation, that they're all the outpouring of God's wrath. And Revelation says no such thing. God's wrath is not poured out for the whole duration of the great tribulation. It will only cover a very brief final portion of it. Many different things will happen during the tribulation. There will be human warfare. There will be persecution of the church by Satan and Antichrist. None of this is the wrath of God. But as the tribulation proceeds, as time passes, the time comes at the very close of the tribulation for God's wrath to be poured out. This is the part we are promised protection from. It doesn't even say that we'll be removed. We'll escape these things. Just for instance, I'm not saying this is the way it's going to be. I'm just using an example. Noah was protected from the flood. But God didn't take him off the planet. Right? Um, Daniel in the lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire. I'm simply saying God has a way. If he says he's going to protect us and we will escape the wrath of God, then I will. And I'm confident in that. However God chooses to do that, it's up to him. Pastor Don, don't you believe in the rapture? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Don't panic. We'll talk about that. I can't, you can't do it all in one night. <laughs> Point number one. 
don't you worry. We're going to get this done before the second coming. The seven seals are not themselves the opening of the contents of the book, but are the preparation for the opening of the book. You you see that if you go back to chapter 5, where Jesus is pictured as opening up the seals that hold the book shut. 5.9, they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. The seals shouldn't be thought of like separate chapters, but the actual content of the book will be the seven trumpets and the seven bowls. The seals must be opened first, one at a time before the book can be opened. So I take that to mean this. The seals represent what must happen before the actual unfolding of the tribulation. In other words, the seals represent the course of this entire age, this church age leading up to the end time tribulation. I think that Jesus made the very same distinction between the immediate events of the end and the gradual progression of the course of the whole age. I think he does that most clearly in Matthew 24, which is slightly different from Luke 21. Matthew 24, verse 4, and Jesus answered them, so they're asking him about these things. See that no one leads you astray. Pastor Don, why, like, why are we studying this? This is a lot of work and it's kind of depressing. Well, we're studying it because Jesus said he didn't want his followers deceived about these things. I don't know of another way to avoid deception except studying the truth. Do you? I don't think there is a way. See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. They will lead many astray. You'll hear of wars, rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end isn't yet. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There'll be famines, earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation, put you to death. You'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise, lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, tell me this isn't relevant. Because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And then you hear something like this. 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Now, what I want you to see is the similarity between the kind of events Jesus described as birth pangs. Let me just list them for you. Hatred, war, strife, persecution, Jesus said. And if you look at the content of the first five seals, death, war, strife, persecution, famine. They're not virtually identical, but they're almost identical. So Jesus said all these things have been around for a long time. But like birth pangs, they're not, they're not meaningless. They're leading to bigger, more significant events. So let me just, just on the practical side, I believe, I've said in this church a number of times, I think this is especially true in the area of persecution of believers. The content of the fifth seal, it's in, 
It's in, if you want to look at it, Revelation 6, 9 to 11. I'm not going to take the time to read it right now. The persecution of believers, those martyred souls. How long, O oh Lord, before you avenge? Well, no, there's, there's, there's others that are going to join you. We're not done yet. They hear those words. I believe as time progresses, it will be harder and harder to remain um, neutral might be too strong a word. Um, unpassionate, uh, disconnected, unengaged about our profession of Christ and our planting the flag for his lordship in our lives. I think as time progresses, we're starting to see it, just starting, that God in his love is going to force allegiance one way or another. I don't know if it'll happen during my ministry in this church, but at some point for Cedarview Community Church, here, this isn't a gift of prophecy, this is just me mouthing off. I would say that, that within the lifetime of some people in this church, we won't have a charitable status as a registered charity. In other words, when you give your money to the church, you're just going to be out that money. And the reason will be because when someone gets up in this church and reads Romans chapter 1, the government will say that's hate speech. If you don't think that's right around the corner, they're not going to shut the place down. We're not quite there yet. But what they will do is they will take away any financial advantage. If, if you're going to receive the tax break from the government and your people who give offerings to the church are going to receive the kind of receipts and, and credit for their giving, if, if you're thinking that's going to happen, then, then there are certain stipulations that the government is going to have. And what you say about same-sex marriage and what you say about transgenderism, what you say about all those things is going to absolutely reflect the future of this church. And it'll be within the next decade. So what I see here is Jesus saying, this is, this is, this is not to alarm us, but so that thinking Christians are going to say, boy, it's just it's exactly the way, it's exactly the way the word said it was going to go. What that means is, by the way, God's got it all in his hand. We may be shocked. He never is. Right now, you can come to church on Sunday. You can sing about how much you love Jesus. You can praise his name and raise your hands. And then you can have a whole other set of friends that live and look like they love what they love. And you can have a foot in both camps. And only you and the Holy Spirit know. And that, that's going to change. That's going to change. You'll see it in your lifetime. And you'll see it as you move further and further into this book of Revelation. I don't know how it's going to work, but the text says, and it's a picture, I get it. The text says that people are going to be marked. God will mark his people. The Antichrist will mark his people. People get all bent out of shape about, well, is this going to be a stamp, a tattoo? Like, that's not the point. The point is, everyone's going to know where you stand. That's the point. 
it will be harder and harder to sit on the fence. You'll either have to face persecution for your passionate commitment to Christ or one day later on face the outpouring of God's wrath. That's God's way of saying it, it's, it's time to put it on the table. Put up, shut up. This is, this is it. I'm looking for the real deal. Can you say put up, shut up in church? Two. As the final seal is opened, we find ourselves... Now, we're almost done. Don't panic. We find ourselves at the time of the very end. So notice the content of the sixth seal. Try to say that fast. The sixth seal as it's open. It's in verse 10, sorry, 12 of chapter 6. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was... Here it is. A great earthquake. The sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood. The stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. What a picture. You see those strong winds and the leaves blowing off your tree and you hear them rattling across the road? Only it's stars falling. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up. And every mountain and island was removed from its place. And then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling for the mountains and rocks, fall on us, hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. This is the second coming. This is not the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. For the great day of their wrath has come. Whose wrath? The one seated on the throne, the wrath of the Lamb. It's right there in the, in the sentence before. This is the sixth seal. Now, it's describing something more intense than just wars and rumors of wars, right? It's describing something more intense than just birth pangs. This is not leading up to the end. This is the end. Notice how similar that is to the description Jesus gave in Matthew 24. It's very similar. Immediately after the tribulation of those days. After the tribulation of those days. The sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. Stars will fall from heaven. You heard this before? Powers of the heaven will be shaken. Remember like fruit falling off fig tree in the wind? Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. They'll mourn. John's vision. They'll cry for the mountains to fall out. Fall on them. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds, one end of heaven to the other. So, the six seals taken together cover they were holding this scroll shut. God's plan for this world. God's will for this world. And they cover everything from History leading up with all sorts of circumstances, climaxing at the very end, the sixth seal, the second coming. The seventh seal, it's opened in Revelation chapter 8. It doesn't contain any specific judgment. But what it does, as I said, it leads right into the seven trumpets. We'll look at this next week. Let me just introduce it quick. Revelation 8, 1 and 2. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, and you wonder, what's happening now? Well, nothing. There was silence in heaven for about half an hour. 
And then I saw seven angels who stand before God and seven trumpets were given them. Do you see why I said earlier, what's in the seventh seal? Well, what's in the seventh seal is the seven trumpets. In other words, the seven trumpets flesh out in more detail the events of the very end, which were just briefly mentioned in the last seal. Or or another way of saying it is the seventh seal actually opens up the book of the end, the book that was kept closed until the proper time of the removal of the last seal. And so you get the end times and the tribulation that will unfold next week.